Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Not too many weeks ago, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, traveled to the Holy Land for a short visit. He saw Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Masada, the Garden Tomb, and the Jordan River, among other sites. And I've asked him to share a story or two with us from that visit. I love hearing about such adventures and look forward to what he has to share today. Lincoln, the time is yours. Well, thank you. And I'm, as you know, I'm still bubbling over about some of the things that I saw and experienced in uh, the so-called Holy Land, but uh, in Israel, the so-called illegitimate land for much of the world. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it's certainly a, a, a dream come true for the Jews of the diaspora, those that had been uh, several times, but even starting as long ago as the attack by Babylon, yes. they were cast to the four winds of the world. Mm-hmm. I've thought about what to say. You know, there's so many things, so many uh, sites that we saw. It was several days, and it would take me as long to recount them. But, you know, what impressed me about that whole part of the world was how mountainous it is. Mm. That I wasn't expecting. I thought they were little hills and and uh, largely a semi-desert area, which it is. <laughs> but I was surprised by the mountains, and I just I just want to talk in sequence about at least three of the mountains that I saw. Mm. We went to a mountain that was called the Mountain of Leaping. <laughs> okay. And uh, it was a bit out of Nazareth. They said that this, by tradition, and it's not really questioned, is the mountain where Jesus was taken by the crowd after he spoke in the synagogue, and they, they attempted to throw him over the mountain. Mm-hmm. The Bible's not that plain. It was that they were going to throw him over, but I didn't get the impression from the Bible text that it was a really high precipice. But when we arrived at this uh, mountain, it was thousands of feet down from the top, and there were a few trees on the top, but the sides of the mountain were incredibly craggy, rocky, tumble-down rocks. Not just a high altitude, but very precipitous, the literal precipice from the top. And, and the, the legend around there, which again the Bible doesn't uh, directly say, is that Jesus escaped the mob by leaping over the cliff and, <laughs> and then making his way rapidly uh, like a mountain goat, I guess, down the rocks and escape from them. Mm-hmm. All it says in the Bible is that he passed through their midst and they couldn't catch him. Mm-hmm. It's implied that there was some sort of divine intervention, but it doesn't really say so. And maybe it was that simple that Jesus leapt away and, and they couldn't get their hands on him. But that made it very real to me because, you know, a few miles away from where we were, across another hill, there is Syria mm-hmm. where they're in the midst of a, an extreme civil war. And, and people are setting upon people, and often with a religious reason. And I've seen images from Syria where the crowd grabs somebody and and beats them up. And then often, since we're now in the the modern warfare era, they'll grab a gun and, and, and put a bullet to their head. But but this mob violence is, is played out all the time, where the community or, or a bunch of young uh, toughs set upon somebody. So I could imagine in that part of the world, I'd seen those pictures just across another hill. Yes. I could imagine the, the affronted Jews, those uh, who'd been in the synagogue here, they grabbed this guy, this young upstart, this this uh, guy probably with zealot connections, because we know that s- some of the apostles had uh, zealot inclinations, which was a political revolutionary mindset. 
And here, probably get rid of this guy. He's trouble. He's preaching revolution. And, uh, you know, it just brought home to me the, the very real dynamic, even of those thousands of years ago, and how little we seem to have changed even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that story has always enthralled me, because how did he do that? How, what does that mean, pass through among them? It really doesn't matter how he did it. That he did it is the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but as I say, standing on that mountain, yes. I could see yes. quite feasible... You could be standing on the precipice or they, they could be laying hands on you, about to push you off, and, and you, in essence, could leap ahead of them, yes. <laughs> drop 20, 30 feet into a crevice, and then, then quickly duck your way away. And they couldn't follow you because it's, it's essentially too steep to easily walk down and pursue someone. So, uh, you know, that, that was one spot. Then another that had an air of grandeur about it, but again, very dynamic uh, scene as it's portrayed in the Bible, is... Uh, Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as we went to that, of the tour buses, you know, a lot of these places, there's just tour bus after tour bus. They're hardly quiet little corners of the world anymore. And and as the tour bus came up to this mountain, again, a very high mountain on the top, there were a few trees, but again, bleak, dry, rocky mountain. Uh, there was a huge statue there of Elijah, looking very warlike and foreboding or forbidding. <laughs> I'm not really sure that that's the best way to see Elijah, but perhaps from the point of view of the prophets of Baal, remember there was three or four hundred of them gathered on the top of the mountain to contest the power of God as represented by Elijah. But to go to that mountain, and I I think it's pretty sure that that was the mountain. I mean, I I don't think such an important mountain would be lost in identification Mm -hmm. among the peoples that have lived there all that time. So to go to the the same mountain where Elijah had that great contest to uh, imagine, and again, in the Bible, I thought it was sort of an uprising, and I thought from the Bible it was very close to the sea, but while in miles it may not be that far, you've got to look hard on the distant horizon to see the sea. Mm -hmm. In fact, to know where that direction was. So uh, after his contest, there was that little cloud that arose out of the sea. But here on this high mountain, to realize that Elijah had faced off against all of the political and religious powers of his day. One man, as he says, yes. although he was a little exaggerating because God said he had 7,000, wasn't it, others that hadn't bowed the knee to, yeah. to Baal. And, and Elijah himself should have known because he, he'd come up against Obadiah, the king's uh, steward, for want of a better title, who had hid prophets by fifties in caves, so at least a 100 of them. I could just sort of empathize with that scene to be on that high mountain under the shadow of a statue of a, of a larger-than-life Elijah, and to remember that contest between disbelief and faithfulness to a charter that had been given to his, his nation. Mm-hmm. And from a religious liberty point of view, it, I must admit it had a sort of a jarring edge to it because once the fire came down and confirmed that Elijah was God's prophet, and of course it failed to burn up the uh, the offered sacrifice of the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, even after they'd cut themselves and and worn themselves up by dancing around and around the sacrifice. After that, the Bible says that Elijah took the prophets of Baal down to the brook and they were killed, and he himself took up the sword and killed them. The big surprise for me was that brook is way down in the valley, and you can see it from the top of the mountain. You're very high up. 
So in that sense, it's probably not much further away than the height you're up, but in total distance, I would say uh, 10 miles at least, which tells me, which I never got from the Bible thing. The Bible gives you the idea that the conflict was settled, and then, bam, Elijah says, take them and kill them, and it's done. What I see is that they uh, had to uh, bind them up, take them a long walking route down the mountain, many miles, along the flats, out to the stream, and then there was a very formal moment. And uh, on our modern model of religious liberty, uh, that's a discordant element. We don't do that. You know, we, we, we believe, as the Bible also says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And on, on the modern model of religious liberty, it's not given to us to execute God's judgments. We're not under a theocracy. We don't know the will of God. Mm-hmm. And, and we certainly can't afford to acknowledge someone else's perceived will of God. Their God might be saying, kill you. Well, that's not allowed in the modern world. But back then, Elijah, assured that God was with him, assured that he was dealing with gross apostasy and disbelief, consciously, calculatedly, it's obvious to me, took those prophets, and then there was a formal execution. It wasn't, uh, as I referred to earlier in Syria, you know, this spontaneous sort of a mob action against them, which in a way would have demeaned it. This was... A formal eradicating from the kingdom, a representative of false worship. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned three mountains. We've been to the mountain of leaping. We've been to Mount Carmel. What's our third mountain today? The other mountain, and I could, there's several more I could mention, but I think I alluded to it the other day, but that last mountain at Masada. Mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. really thought of it as a mountain. I guess we've all been told that it was fairly high in the sense that it was impregnable to the Roman uh, soldiers who besieged the, uh, the holdouts from the Jewish rebellion, what is it, in AD 70, I think it was, a generation beyond Jesus' life and death. But, yeah, the height there really impressed me. And, and it, again, it's high and lifted up, rearing up so high that we had to take a cable car up to the, uh, the mountain fortress. And there you look out over the Dead Sea, which is dead, salty yes, to the extreme. Is. Yes, it is. And in fact, one of my regrets of the visit is I didn't go uh, bathing in the salt sea. <laughs> you know, a grand moment, not of biblical history per se, but very uh, soon post-biblical, that rebellion of the Jews that, that really precipitated their final scattering that has only been reversed with the modern-day uh, return, which is very contentious with many people, including the Arabs. But there's no question that the, the modern-day Jews can, in the aggregate, trace their, their origins to that part of the world. And all of these icons of the buildings, and particularly the mountains, refer to their experience. And uh, it was inspiring to me to think that people that had a religious, political, but mostly a religious identity as a people, that here they endured right to the very end against the entire might of the Roman Empire, a might and, a, and, a, and an expertise that was so great that they built uh, in essence, a mini mountain on the side of that mountain yes. to bring up their siege engines and break the door down. Yes. Phenomenal to look down and to see, you know, at the very least, I would say that where they built that rampart was probably a thousand foot below the mm-hmm. uh, the fortress. And, and over a year's time, using slave labor, they built up an extra mountain slope on the side that they could pull something up. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. The mountains of the Holy Land. I, I think of those mountains, and I think of also that last mountain, and uh, we don't have time to talk about it here, and that's a mountain called Calvary. Yes, we, and, we, and I think I mentioned in another program we, we had uh, the Lord's Supper yes. at the what is passes for the, the tomb, because no one really knows right, where that is. Right, yeah. But 
while we were there and talking about it with the guides and so on, it was pointed out that Golgotha or Calvary, you know, is an assumption it's a mountain, but it may not have been anything more than just a slight uprising. Right. There's really not a mountain there, but in spiritual significance and, and, and the figure that we use of climbing Calvary, mm-hmm. experiencing that just like our Lord, that's a massive mountain of a spiritual experience. There's no, mm-hmm. no two ways about it. The Mountains of the Holy Land, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Thank you for sharing these experiences with us. They are inspiring. Good to remember. Absolutely. Good to remember. Absolutely. We invite your listener to our website, libertymagazine.org. There you can get uh, more information on any topic of religious liberty, as well as Lincoln's blog. Very interesting stuff there, as well as discussion places where you can talk about issues. You can also subscribe to the magazine. That's all at libertymagazine.org. Lincoln, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. (music) 